Welcome to What Happened Next, a podcast about newish books. My name is Nathan Whitlock, and I'm a writer. On this podcast, I speak to other writers about what happens when their new book is no longer new, and it's time to write another one. I've already had a lot of great conversations about the weirdness and pleasure of being a writer. So please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you do enjoy these episodes, which go up every Monday morning without fail, please tell other people about them. I do this on my own, so it helps a lot. If you want to send me a suggestion for a future guest or comment on an episode or just find out more about what I am doing, I have books of my own, hint, hint, please go to nathanwhitlock.ca. My guest on this episode is Jen Sukfong Lee. Jen is the author of three acclaimed novels, four works for children, a collection of poetry, and two works of nonfiction, including Gentlemen of the Shade, about the movie My Own Private Idaho, and her most recent book, Superfan, How Pop Culture Broke My Heart, which was published by McClellan and Stewart in 2023. Jen also works as an acquiring editor for ECW Press, and is the co-editor with Stacey May Fowles of two essay collections, Whatever Gets You Through and Good Mom on Paper, which, full disclosure, includes a very funny and heartbreaking essay by my wife, Megan Strymus. Go find that book. Superfan is a finalist for the 2024 Forest of Reading Evergreen Book Award. It was named a Best Book of 2023 by The Globe and Mail and Apple Books Canada, and was a Today Show recommended read. The Toronto Star called Superfan heady, thought-provoking, and emotionally fraught stuff, and a singular reading experience. Jen and I talk about how she had never intended Superfan to be a personal memoir full of emotionally fraught stuff, how the relative failure of her second novel almost made her stop writing altogether, and how it actually did for years, and why you should never wear faux leather pants while appearing on TV and why she's still just a little bit disappointed to have never been crowned Miss Chinese Vancouver. Something I was puzzled by, even when they announced that the super fan deal, you know, when you see the little deal memo announced Mm -hmm. and it was announced that it was coming, it puzzled me the idea of a memoir coming from someone who was so shy and quiet and (laughs) never wants to like stir anybody up or really talk about themselves in any uh in any like uncomfortable way Mm. so how i how does this make 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 this make sense to me how did superfan how does that fit with your your brand okay it that is the funniest question anyone's ever asked me and i will say uh i actually Okay, everybody knows I'm not shy and retiring. I'm not a wallflower. Everybody knows this. But the thing that I had avoided for many years is writing about myself. That's true. I think a lot of writers That is true, yeah. Yeah, I did not write about myself. I mean, I would write like sort of meta versions of myself or my family or whatever, but never really about myself. And um, when the idea for Superfan occurred, I actually really thought it was going to be like 75% pop culture and like Mm. a smidge of Jen and... um, as we started writing it, um, I say we, I don't know why, but as I started, <laughs> as I started writing it, um, I felt that the story needed more context. Like they, we needed, 
you know, you know, for example, like the chapter I broke with Paltrow, like for some people, it's not obvious why we should hate her. Although I don't know who those people are. Is it, but... I think it's fairly <laughs> obvious at this point, isn't it? Well, when I was writing, it wasn't that obvious. Okay. Oh, that's true. This, this was pre. Yeah. 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 So I started writing it like 2017, I guess her chapter 2018, maybe. And um, so I felt like I can't say why other people dislike her, but I could say why I dislike her, which required mm -hmm. a lot of like background information about myself. And those sorts of things just kept growing and growing and growing. Um, and that's how that happened. Normally, I would not choose to write about myself. I avoid okay. it. Yeah. I was not going to. I didn't intend to. <laughs> I will dispute the idea that that could be the funniest question you've ever been asked about Superfan because I did watch some interviews with you as preparation for this. And there's one, and I won't name it. It was sort of network TV. I don't know if it was like a morning show or something. And I think one of the first questions was something along the lines of like, what got you into pop culture? Like, when did that happen? And it would be a little bit like asking like, a food writer like what got you into eating and, and <laughs> nutrition and putting things in your mouth and chewing on them it felt like such a like are is everyone else just reading Shakespeare and going to ballet and well funny you should say that because I did an interview with my childhood hero Wendy Mesley okay yep. <laughs> and she was so fascinated with my fascination with pop culture because she said I never cared about pop culture I said well who was the person you liked growing up was it like yeah I don't know David Cassidy was it like who <laughs> was it right um and she said nobody I just really was into politics and I'm like at five years old what? you were like into politics so like Ed Broadbent with posters of Ed Broadbent on her wall or something I, I guess she really liked the news and I was like she insisted this was true and I and I'm like it must be because you would think that she would try to find a connection with the person she's interviewing. So she would say, I really loved, you know, whoever she loved. And I would say, oh yeah, that's, you know, my older sister really, you know, whatever. But no, she insisted there was like literally no one like in her whole entire life <laughs> or no like movie, no television show, like nothing. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, that makes, that feels so alien. I've, I've actually met a few people like that. I will say sort of our age where they could tell you that, you know, when they were, eight and they got their first Walkman and they'd be walking around to like box cello suites by Yo-Yo Ma and they'd be like yeah go Yo-Yo go Yo-Yo you know like that would be the thing and it would you would totally understand it but they're the outliers at this point are they not? It must they're be I don't know yeah I don't know although I mean I will like as much as like my sisters and I like I read about it in the book we cared about pop culture but like my sisters at some point stopped and I think a lot of people do do that like they it's something that carries them through their adolescence and sort of young adulthood and then at some mm -hmm. point they kind of disengage for whatever reason um that's never happened for me clearly not for you so like <laughs> no I mean but I also have this feeling of like even the word pop culture it's it reminds me of when I worked at a magazine about 20 years ago and we first started having to write web logs yeah. and, I, and I would cringe every time who's fill you know who's writing the web log today and I'd be like please please just call it a blog you know, mom <laughs> so oh even just hearing pop culture I always just think isn't that just culture at this point like but Nathan who buys books people who would differentiate between pop culture and other kinds of culture no the typical book possibly buyer, yeah i think so 
yeah <laughs> i i actually think they should more i think that when i look at what sells a lot uh, you know like the really big sellers yeah they tend to be very poppy and yeah. romance and beach reads and i think that's normal i think that's that's how the world works what are i get a little cringier where I get a little uh, annoyed is when people look at those and assume they are the same as they're in the same category as everything else. Like all books are the same. All fiction is the same. All nonfiction is the same. And I'm like, well, no, they're trying for different things and they should be trying for different things and different audiences. Like, I don't think uh, I'm thinking Carly Fortune, who uh, has these enormous, mm -hmm you know, back to the cottage books out right mm -hmm. now. And they're very like bright, brightly colored. Yeah. And Carly Fortune's incredibly smart and incredibly accomplished. And it has had an incredible career as a writer and magazine editor. And I don't know this for a fact, but I would imagine Carly doesn't look at her books as like the equivalent of like, you know, uh, like it's going to be on the Nobel committee is going to be looking at these. Oh God. Yeah. You know no, what I mean? She like, would, no, she understands that these are like yeah. fun. She's not saying I'm writing trash and I don't think she is, but she's, she knows she's not writing for the same audience for the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm putting words in her mouth and I'm only picking Carly as, you know, or like need, <laughs> need a, need a prose, you know, like, yeah. or need a pronovost as, we publishing insiders would know her because we know because we know <laughs> we're insiders i think she knows especially as someone who works in publishing she knows where her bought her books fit well i mean i didn't write i didn't think superfan was going to win any prizes and i was proven correct. i didn't think so either <laughs> okay we've gone way off topic i blame you <laughs> i want to talk about your uh sort of how you came into the publishing world and your early career as a writer, something I didn't actually realize uh, until I was kind of looking up facts about you. Oh, no. Um, was that your first book was, it was with Knopf Canada, mm -hmm. and it was part of the new face of fiction, mm -hmm. whatever that was, promotion, which... Uh, I, again, as another publishing insider, was I was always aware of that, in the, especially in the first few years. And there would be mm -hmm. like these names that popped out of it and that they always come back to. I think it's like Anne-Marie MacDonald and Yon mm -hmm. Martell. And, mm -hmm. you know, there were people that came out of it. There's also a lot of people who kind of had their fresh face of fiction and you never heard from them again. Like literally, yeah. they don't think they even actually published another book. Was there anything specific about being part of that group where you're like, maybe the Henry McDonald magic, maybe the Jan Martel magic? I had that. Uh, I had a really specific debut novel type of experience, I think, because of the new face of fiction. <clears throat> like, I think a lot of um, my authorly friends, their first books were published, you know, by an independent. They had um, they did not have these huge sort of promotional um pushes and what I didn't understand at the time because I was young um and didn't know any better was that what I was experiencing was was not usual it was actually quite rare like for me to for example go into a um event at uh an indigo uh, a really big indigo at the time and they, they had a poster of my face that was like the height of the wall oh. <laughs> like, like I was like whoa you know I still have that thing it's rolled up is it really like, 
Yeah, it's hidden behind my hot water tank because there's no other space where it's ginormous. <laughs> um, and, you know, I was getting things like, you know, my face was on the front page of the National Post as a caricature. Like, uh, these were things that were like, I didn't realize were not, you know, usual because I was, you know, young. And, and it felt like a lot. Like, I was not prepared for it, really. Um, but it also felt like, okay, I guess this is just the way it is. Um, and what I'm realizing now is like, I was put in all these positions, uh, like a ton of media. I had so much media, Nathan, like I've never had a book that had more media than that because back then there was more books coverage. There was more um, review space in, ma in magazines and like newspapers and stuff. Um, I've never toured as much as I did for that book because obviously physical touring was like a real thing at that time. Mm -hmm. I went everywhere. It was ridiculous. I had a book launch in New York. Like, what the fuck? Like, this is yeah. stupid. And when my second book came out, I was like, why is nothing happening? Because uh -huh. <laughs> I was like, I was a new face of fiction. I'm going to be like Anne-Marie McDonald. Someone's going to buy movie rights to my book. I'm going to like, you know, introduce hot docs on like the television. I'm going right. to, and, and none of those things actually happened by the time, like, you know, my second book, um, had come out and like nobody cared like literally a dozen people read that book I it was such a vast like disappointment to me so I had this high that I didn't even appreciate because it was brand new and I was too young to know any better um, and then I experienced this low and then I didn't write for two years like I, I just didn't write a thing and I didn't yeah. want to and um, you actually write about that in Superfan yeah. you had this there's this great quote that you when that second book came out when the better mother came out which as you say in the book, it wasn't exactly the book you wanted to write no. in the first place. It was kind of some pressure from, you know, the publishing people saying yeah. like, because you had a book that you wanted to do. And they were like, don't be so weird. <laughs> <laughs> it was a weird book. It's I, okay. it's still saved in my laptop somewhere. It was a weird book, admittedly. And I don't know what I would do with it now. But, but they were... sort of brought you back to yeah. this sort of more mainstream idea. Yeah, and then it didn't mainstream. work, which is no. even worse. Like, if it had been the weird book, and they'd be like, "All right, Jen, like, do it," and then the same number of people read it, you'd be like, "Well, yeah, it was weird." It and, was weird. Yeah. But the fact that they pushed you back to this more conventional mm -hmm. did that make it sting even more? That it was like oh, this God, wasn't yeah. even the book I wanted, and it and wasn't it even. Yeah. It, oh God, yeah. The book I I like the Better Mother. I like. I still think it's a good book, but I I think that it felt so bad that they that they had so much input into this particular book that and I had so little because it felt like I had very little about the cover about everything about it all those decisions seemed to have been made for me um and it felt so bad that that book didn't sell and mm. I didn't know then who was going to publish me from this point onward like I was like who's gonna who's gonna want me this book sold nothing um clearly I collaborated too much um and I also felt like that kind of pressure that they put on me was a very like you know because I was young um I was a young Asian woman who didn't have much of a platform who 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 was you know amenable and compliant um then I don't know if they would have done that to anyone else like I don't mm -hmm. know you say that you didn't write for two two years after yeah, two years. that novel came out was it literally just were you making false starts on books or were you no I didn't write just not writing at all I didn't write a thing I like not even like a poem not even like a... really yeah no I was like Oscar was little so it was like easy for me not to write 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was really tired. You know, we were renovating a house. Uh, what I didn't realize then was I was basically getting ready to be divorced. And like, so I was, I didn't write. And um, it was okay. I didn't hate it. <laughs> I, was just, I was just like a mom for two years. And like, yeah. that was kind of, that was kind of cool. I spent a lot of time, um, you know, managing tantrums and like <laughs> making soup with your noodles. kid with your kid or with your ex uh probably both honestly yeah okay <laughs> the uncoupling was a lot less uh yeah it's fine no we're good friends now at the time not so much that that's the other thing would have lied to us about but conscious uncoupling is that you know i mean you know this nathan when a relationship or a marriage ends especially if you have children that first year and a half you bloody well hate that person you never want to see their face yeah. yeah and then like three years later you're like hey what's up do you want to sit together at graduation? Like it doesn't matter anymore. Right. And like, right. and that's like, if, if everything goes well. You spent that two years as a mom and did no writing, but obviously the switch came back on because yeah. you've been writing like a fiend yeah. pretty much ever since. <laughs> I mean, bringing us up closer to the present in the last few years, you've had what, like 18 books come out no, <laughs> like six. It's not like that many. That's no still more. a lot. That's still I a lot. I would say, yeah, like eight, maybe. You six. got, you You probably don't know this, but you got name checked on, I think it was the third episode of this podcast. Oh, who was it? It was uh, <laughs> Elizabeth DeMariafi name checked oh. you and referenced you talking about, you know, the nine, nine years and three books in nine years that you mentioned in Superfan. And she mm-hmm. sort of had that, this moment when she read that. Of like, oh, that's why I'm exhausted because there's yeah. been all these books. So what what happened? Was it just coincidence that all these books appeared at the same time? Like, were they all in different stages? Or did you, like, discover a new drug that was, like, keeping you up <laughs> till six in the morning or something? Um, I will say it started with The Conjoined, which became compulsive writing for me they're not all not all my books and i'm sure you know that not every book is written this way that it feels like it has to be written um that was a book that felt like it had to be written i really enjoyed writing it like it was a really it's a gruesome book but i mm-hmm. enjoyed writing it anyway um and i, I say this in superfan but like nobody cared if i wrote it or not and that actually freed me up a lot that was liberating like, it, it was liberating like that all the pressure that i felt going into the better mother after the end of East, it it was so weighty and like really didn't feel right. And so when I was writing the control, no one cared. I could finish it whenever. I could make it as gross as I wanted it to to be. I could do whatever I wanted. So that started. And then, you know, um, ECW, who I now work for, published it. And, and, and it's done really well. Like the book has done better than any of my other novels. And um, it's it was a joyful publication. But when that came out, what ended up happening was I got divorced and then like um, just before the book came out um, and I was looking for more work because I needed the money. And so I got um, the kids books that I've written were mostly done on contracts. Like they asked me if I would do something about Chinese New Year and then later on um, <clears throat> refugees and immigration. Um, that is my dog agreeing with me. Um, <laughs> and uh that was nice those were like contract things and like the kids books are short let's be honest like they're not they're not eighty thousand words they do require a lot of like research and work but they're not super long i also did a baby book that was literally 115 words it was fine the revisions took me 15 minutes it was not a big deal uh so those came in because i needed the work and then 
what ended up happening is um I just kept getting more ideas which is like because it's like once you start doing it I feel anyway for me once I start having ideas they generate more ideas and more ideas and more ideas the more people you talk to about your book the more events you go to the more of everything it just generates more ideas for books for me and that's just what ended up happening um that's it and then, and it's, so just they all just kind of started yeah. landing at that at that moment and then it's weird because like it, it, there was a year where like I think in a 12 month span like three of my books came out I can't mm -hmm. remember when this was but rec recent-ish yeah. and it just really seemed like that's all I had been doing which is not true obviously a lot, many of those books had been in production for years at that point and I did not write them all at the same time that was not what I did I wrote one and then I wrote one and then I wrote one they just all seemed to come out at the same time in terms of their aftermath and you know what they did for your career and what they did out in the world um it's almost like an, a controlled experiment because mm -hmm. you had within yeah within that very short amount of time you had a collection of poetry you had a novel you had non-fiction books you had kids books and now you have this memoir only you know a year or so later were yeah. there ones where you were like oh cool that's out that's great i'm glad it's out <laughs> in the world interesting and then uh, I would imagine like super fan, you're like, oh no, people are yeah. going to know things. About yeah. I, yeah. Like the novels, you know, I, I've published three novels, like sort of the process of them are kind of the same, even if some do better than others. Like, a, you know, they get out in the world. Some people notice um, typically novels do get a decent amount of attention in the media, but it's usually only a handful of novels a year. Like there are many, many novels that never get any attention. I've been lucky enough with all three of them to get- I feel like you were reviews. looking directly at me when you said no! there's novels that get- <laughs> I get, I resent that, but you know, okay, I'll own it. No, I mean, The Better Mother, I will say this with The Better Mother, it didn't sell, but it weirdly got media attention. Just nobody cared. <laughs> I don't like whatever, but like, um. The kids' books, sometimes, you know, with the kids' books, when they come out, it, I barely notice because it's not because they, they don't sell, because they do, actually. It's because the, the, the ways of selling them are so different, um, mm -hmm. particularly because I write children's nonfiction, which is very much used by libraries and schools, as opposed to just general readers. Like, like kids are not lining up for my manifesto on like migration okay like yeah. the teachers are buying this shit or their yeah. parents are buying it um yeah. so it's a quite a different and the events are i rarely do children's events they're mostly events with like teachers or teacher librarians um which is i wouldn't too. i wouldn't trust you to do a kids event either i feel like <laughs> there'd be so many rules they'd have to have you on a seven second delay i think uh they had me do i did a couple i did a couple of writing workshops for my kids school uh really I did. And, um, it was just chaos. Like I, I think my, my, I think he was in grade four or five at the time. And I said, let's, let's come up with a book idea together. It just ended up kids yelling ideas at me. Like I was like, that's yeah. like, cool. That seems fine. Um, and they came up with the weird, like they came up with a protagonist. who was like a purple monster of some kind. Can't remember, but his name was Kevin. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> Kevin. Um, I get it's like a real dad name to kids, I think. Anyway, sure, that's what happened. But um, yeah, so I don't really notice those. I think the poetry, and and you know, and I should say the poetry collection. Um, I did get more attention for that than I thought because, like, with poetry, it's tough. You have to find you know the readers. You have to. There are only a certain number of like um media outlets that will cover poetry at all. Period. Yeah. And there's only a certain number of readers who will buy the book. That your print runs are very small usually. Um, and I got some nice media for that, but I think that 
for me, like the poetry book came out during COVID. So everything was like online. Um, right. And I did get invited to a lot of stuff, but that's because they didn't have to pay for me to fly anywhere. Right. So like, but that was really nice. And I felt like it, the difference with the poetry collection is I felt like it, for the first time, people considered my writing as literary. Um, mm -hmm. Pretty much for the first time. Is that right? That, that I think you, so. You hadn't had that feeling before that? No, I think they thought of me as quite commercial. Um, commercial fiction with a sentimental intergenerational sadness, uh, I guess. was <laughs> Wow. How I, I would put it, but like, yeah. And then, so I think with the poetry collection, people are like, oh, Jen can actually string a line together. Um, <laughs> right. And that was, I think, a really interesting function for that book. And, um, and at that point, I wasn't really interested in writing another novel. Novels take so much bandwidth, as you know. And um, I thought, I'll just knock off this pop culture book, no problem. Took me five right. years, but that's fine. <laughs> Does it feel weird too that like the conjoined did very well? You said it was the mm -hmm. best, uh, sort of got the most sales and from all of all of your novels. But Superfan kind of did this other thing where you like yeah. thought you want all these like again breakfast TV type shows yeah. and really got <laughs> out there. Yeah. Does it feel a little odd to have that book that you thought was like oh I'll just throw it together and get it out there. I'll say some fun things about Gwyneth Paltrow and Lady Di and Rihanna. <laughs> and yeah, and I'll, then I'll get on to the real work. And here it is like, this is a lot of people's first time reading you and they'll yeah. go back and find your other books and yeah. they'll be like, what happened to Rihanna? <laughs> I, okay. The funny thing about Superfan was about, you know how um, there's the lead time before the book comes out, like after you finish with your edits and whatever, yeah, and you yeah. have like a quiet time of you know, a couple months, a few months usually. Um, in that period of time, I already knew it was going to be much bigger than I had ever thought it was going what to. Was, like, what were the rumblings? What was giving you that expectation? Um, it was like small things like, this is the print run we're thinking of doing. And I'm like, it seems like a lot. There, <laughs> is there like, a zero on the extras? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, are you going to have to pulp those? Like, where are those going to go? And I'm not then, storing like, them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then like, you know, my publicist would, be, would say, like, these are the places that are asking about you already. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, like already asking. And, and then I would look to see, like, you know, um, you'd see people who already got advanced reading copies and they would be posting either on Goodreads or NetGalley or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, well in advance. And then that rumbling started, like, we're going to book this for you. We're going to book this for you. And I was like, wait, holy shit. Like, I am not prepared for a book about myself to be that big because you know oftentimes the wonderful thing and the bad thing about Canadian literature is that you can write a book and no one will read it so I was very like I can write this book and no one's gonna read it and it's fine all the things I say about my mom will stay between me and my 12 readers and it won't make right. any difference I was so used to that experience and then this um it was strange like I was like on tv listen Nathan I had to go on TV, like I did the social e-talk, mm -hmm. some other breakfast television show. I decided oddly to wear fake leather pants because uh, <laughs> I thought I would look cool. Because I'm like, yeah. you know, the ladies, particularly the ladies on the social are very well dressed. Okay. So mm -hmm. I put on these fake leather pants and then I decided I should be wearing a pair of Spanx under the fake leather pants. And because I thought I don't want to worry about not looking right. I And you know, the Spanx helped me sit up straight, you know, whatever. Fine. Um, I am also perimenopausal and TV lights are very hot 
and oh, I started no. sweating like you wouldn't even like a sweat like a, just a horrible hot flash. I'm like, oh no no. So then I had to go back to my hotel after it was all done, and it was the hotel in Toronto designed by Lenny Kravitz. Do you know this hotel? Uh, That's- vaguely, yeah doesn't matter everything is low lighting black marble like i should i should have been doing lines of coke in that place (laughs) but i but i wasn't but i couldn't see anything okay and everything smells allegedly lenny kravitz's own scent is sent is sprayed throughout the hotel everything smells like lenny kravitz and i couldn't get my pants off because i'd been sweating in them and they're fake leather pants (laughs) and they were like glued to my spanks which were glued to my body and i was like is this what lenny Krauss designed this hotel room for (laughs) no he designed it for parties and cocaine and i'm doing neither of those things (laughs) (laughs) and i'm stuck in my pants that's what happened (laughs) were those were those pants um whether unconsciously or not were they a tribute to Amy Tan's uh, singing outfit that you describe in the book. I hadn't even thought of that, but sure, let's go with it. But yeah, okay. I didn't intend that, but I also mentioned, yes, I mentioned her leather pants, but I also mentioned Chris Martin from Coldplay's leather pants. <laughs> True, you do, yes. It's just leather pants, that's it. <laughs> so you've had your, your leather pants moment, mm. uh, and now we're in the sort of aftermath. I mean, there's still still things coming up with with Superman yeah. it's not like these books go away when when it when it gets into people's and it gets into the culture like that it kind of keeps sparking mm-hmm. but presumably you are now well into the next thing which I believe is a horror novel it sure is uh and I before I ask you about it I have to dispute something that I came across a quote okay that you gave to an interviewer not okay. that long ago uh, where you said, I love the first draft process as much as I love the last polish. Mm-hmm. And I read that and I thought, that can't possibly true. You can't possibly believe that. You know I that do. one is fun and one is horrible. No, they're both. And it doesn't equally... even matter. You can flip one. <laughs> yeah, they're both equally bad and equally fun, in my opinion. Okay. They both have their pros and cons, right? But you say you love them both. I do. Love I guess. Them both. I guess technically you say you love them as much. Which means there is is literally not a moment in the writing process that I don't love. Even if I'm frustrated or disappointed in myself or like something's not going right, there is still nothing in the world I'd rather be doing. I'd rather be writing than pretty much anything else in the entire world. I will I will go along with the idea that there's nothing you'd rather be doing because I feel (laughs) the same way. But I also feel like that's a bit like the joke about the the two alcoholics where one comes into the bar and says, I don't know if I, I don't know if I enjoy this anymore. And the other one's halfway through his seventh drink. And it's like, it's not about enjoying. <laughs> Basically, you just have to do it. We are compelled to do it. The love and the joy has got nothing to do with it. You just have oh, to do it. I don't know. I don't think I love editing. I love the last bits and pieces. I, I and I and I'm very like. I'm very zen about it. Like, you know, I have, you know, I am an editor also. And like authors can Mm -hmm. get really anxious about like the book going to press with like a mistake, which happens in every book. Like, let's be honest. Um, And I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very just like zen about it. And I, uh, because it's been a number of books now. And I, and, and I've learned that there are far worse things than that sort of like writing and editing process. Like watching a book fails really hard. Like that's, I wouldn't want to do that again. And I may still do it again multiple times. Who knows, right? But um, sometimes promoting your book is not fun. I don't always love that. Like it's, 
the travel is rough. Like Canada is a big place. So it's hard. And when you've got a kid, like it, promoting a book is like kind of painful. Well, and you have talked about doing, I think it was in San Francisco, you did a reading to one person. She was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said I basically gave her a lap dance, which is not true. But, um, did she but buy we, the book at least? She bought multiple copies, actually. She was oh, very wonderful. fine. Okay. Yes. She's like, I'm going to give this to my daughter. I'm like, great what's her name let me sign it I'm like I don't know like it was yeah I did the thing is I have also done or been scheduled for events where no one showed up but then if no one shows up no one knows that no one showed up right if one person shows up then that right. person knows <laughs> right yeah um well where are you in the process if you don't mind in terms of this new book are you multiple drafts in or are you still no clearing, I'm clearing the trees I... I am in the substantive edit with my editor. Oh, yeah. okay. It's it's that close. It's it's close. Like okay. We're, what year are we? Twenty four. We're in twenty twenty four. Oh yeah. So we're like close. I would say it'll be out. I'm gonna just say maybe eighteen months. Fingers okay. crossed. <laughs> That's another publishing insider way of thinking. It's like what? Where are we in years? You don't think in terms of weeks. You think in terms of years. In years. In terms yeah. of eighteen so we, month yeah. chunks. Yeah. Well, that's so exciting. I, like, yeah, I'm really excited. It's a fun, it's been a really fun book to write, really um, enjoyable. So that's, that's really nice. Not compulsive, like the conjoined was, but fun. Like I go in there and I'm like, what a fun time I'm having writing about yeah. weird lady ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, not to end this on a note of, of uh, disappointment, but I do have to bring up one more thing that you do talk about in the, in the memoir. Mm-hmm. And that is the fact that um, just about one month ago, they announced the winner of the Miss Chinese Vancouver pageant. Did they? It was. It was oh, Isabella Jai. Oh, good for her. And <laughs> Isabella is actually a graduate of Simon Fraser, mm. uh, I think in the education department or something. Mm -hmm. And you are someone who taught at Simon Fraser. Yeah. I don't believe you teach there anymore, but you no. taught there for many, many years. Does it sting at all to know that you were in the realm like you this could have been you this could have been your life a little i mean not gonna lie i when i took piano lessons and i would refuse to practice because i hated it uh, mm -hmm. my mother would yell at me i'm paying for this so you can enter the miss chinese vancouver pageant because you need to have a talent you were talentless she would say this to me all the time sure um and that did not make me want to by the way practice the piano anymore but um it was not very motivating um yeah, a little, I guess. I, 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 I find that shit so funny because it's it's like um, when my mother would say this to us, like, I want you to be in beauty pageants, like, read the room, mom. Like, we're all sitting there with our noses and books with our, like, braces and, like, glasses. <laughs> and I was like, like, you can't. But this is not the first time I've been close to it because a girl from my high school who I graduated with actually won Miss Chinese Vancouver a few years after oh. high school. Um and uh i remember watch i actually wrote about it in superfan and my editor made me cut it out because she thought what if she reads it and, and I, <laughs> so i will say i watched that broadcast with my mom and actually a bunch of my girlfriends from high school we were all at my house because my mom wanted to watch it and my friends came because they knew that someone we went to high school with was a contestant and my mom just kept saying to me it could have been you it could have been you and I, uh, I do like the idea that you cut that section out because that person might have read it or it feels a little too close. And yet there is a reference in the memoir to, you know, dates that would come on your face without asking. Yeah. And in terms of like the kind of things like your kid is going to one day read this book and go, mom, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, that's different though. Making fun of bad men is like always fine. I don't that's think true. it's like, and it's like, that's like not my fault. That's just like, <laughs> if I was being like critical of like someone I went to high school with who who was probably pushed to be in Miss Chinese Vancouver, probably if I know anything about her and I think I do, then like, you know, I feel a bit sorry for her. Like the guy who does stuff like that, why do we, we don't care. We don't feel sorry right. for him. Somebody asked me like, is anybody upset? Uh, by what you wrote, Superfan. I said, no, like, my family is fine. Um, I said, if there's anyone upset, it would be a couple of ex-boyfriends. <laughs> but who cares? What Happened Next is produced and edited by me. The music playing under my voice is by the great Alex Lukashevsky, who is letting me use it for free. You can find more of Alex's music at alukashevsky.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There will be a new episode every Monday. Please buy more books, and not just new ones.